Thank you for listening to the Resources for Integrated Care podcast series, Emergency Preparedness Planning for Persons with Disabilities. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on August 24, 2022. In this podcast, Meryl Friedman, the RVP of Inclusive Policy and Advocacy at Elevance Health, and Christina Mills, the Senior Director of Inclusive Policy and Advocacy at Elevance Health, discuss emergency planning for people who have access and functional needs. We have the pleasure of working for Elevance Health. What you're going to hear about as we talk about the work that we have done in communities to support people is working with community organizations and independent living centers and AAAs, which is where Christina comes into the picture, where we partnered with Christina when she was at the California Foundation for Independent Living Centers, and with all good fortune, is now working here at Elevance Health, so helping more from the inside as well as the partnership. So it truly does come full circle when the planets align, so very fortunate. Elevance Health is also a, a healthcare company. We are a healthcare partner. We are an insurer like our friends at Centene and work very closely with organizations and supporting people in their communities. So individuals, families, providers, the, the full network and helping right to blend all that and bring it together to connect people to the resources that they need so they can live healthy and well lives in the community based on their terms and their goals. We serve about 118 million people through multiple lines of business across Elevance Health. Some of you may know that we were formerly Anthem and changed our name earlier this year to Elevance Health, which was a mix of elevating and advancing health to actually be able to sort of move through a cultural transformation to be more present in communities and to look beyond our traditional healthcare services. So one in eight Americans are served by Elevance Health or one of our clearly our lines of business. We do have 25 locations uh, with Medicare and Medicaid in the States, DC and Puerto Rico. And as you can see here, we have 10 million Medicaid members and 2.8 million Medicare members. And yes, I'm true. So here's where we get to talk about some of the fun stuff that's already been talked about. And that's the work that we get to do with people every day. Our service coordinators and care coordinators and care managers are on the phone daily working with people with disabilities and older adults as well as many other individuals and really constantly talking about what are our backup plans, who's there to support you, particularly through the pandemic. I think we learned a lot more about how we can support people as their supports changed almost daily. And so I think that's really important that we keep that in our minds as we go through our emergency preparedness work is that it changes all the time. Connecting people to community resources in advance, be, helping people to be aware of what those resources are. I think Christina and I learned early on, and, and June was you know, part of many of these processes as well, that people don't necessarily know where to go in the event of an emergency. Is it accessible? Can they get there? Who's their support person? And if that support person like me, my support person would be identified as my husband, but there's a good chance at the time of, a, of an emergency, I may not be near him. We may not be together. So how do we kind of build our pod and help people build their pods and have that access to those community resources? We heard June talk about people who would be institutionalized during 
emergencies, and we have worked very hard and put out a lot of statements as well to do everything we can to support people in their own communities at the time so people don't end up in institutions and people don't get sent out of state. Um, we saw a lot of that during Hurricane Harvey and a couple of other emergencies where people were sent out of state and then getting home is not easy. So preventing all of those disruptions and helping people get that access very close and near to them to where their comfort zones are and their people are. We will talk a lot about these functional support needs, but they have been talked about already. So do people have access to all the backup power resources and the health supplies and the transportation? You know, people who are on dialysis, do we have access to dialysis? We get very nervous after about 24 hours when people don't have access to dialysis. Medications, power, mobility aids. So it is very important that we are constantly updating and upgrading what we're doing to support people throughout emergencies. And Christina's going to talk to seat brought up a really good point as well, just that emergencies aren't just, you know, big disasters. There are a lot of other emergencies that happen and crises, if you will, that happen within people's lives that are as disruptive. And so it's every person individually throughout the year, not just when there's a fire and a tornado and a derecho and all the, you know, other emergencies that we are, that were the floods in eastern Kentucky, there's plenty more. So these evacuation plans that are fully accessible and planned out and have lots of different resources aligned to them are most important. I recently joined Elevance Health and I'm the former executive director of the California Foundation for Independent Living Centers, which served as the association working on public policy on behalf of the centers in California. I think one of the most important things to, to really start off the conversation and we get into power outages is that at the beginning of the pandemic was also the beginning of California's proactive approach to starting what is known now as public safety power shutoffs. So it was an interesting time to be at the foundation and having a pandemic for adults with electricity needs. Anybody who used essentially durable medical equipment or assistive technology that required electricity and being supported with backup power in some way, shape, or form, whether that be through a portable backup battery or moving that individual and covering the transportation costs needed to get someone into an accessible hotel or lodging space in addition to getting back home and covering their food needs as they were out of their home. One of the important points I want to cover in that is that really wouldn't have been possible had we not had the seed money from Elevance Health Anthem at that point to really see if portable backup batteries were a solution for some people. And I say some people in capitals because backup portable batteries do not work for everyone, but we have found in California over the last few years that especially those who use CPAP machines, those who use nebulizers, other type of breathing apparatuses, not oxygen by any means, can can rely on a backup power source for a day or two, but not much longer than that. And if you're in California like me, you know that depending on where you are in the state, public power safety shutoffs can last more than a couple of days, unfortunately, in some sense. And the fact of the matter is that we learned that whether it's a public safety power shutoff or a brownout, or a winter storm, or a car accident that takes out the power lines, people with disabilities and those with access and functional needs that rely on electricity 
need backup electricity sources. And we found in 2019 that because those sources were not available, many people, of course, what did they do? Call 911 or go to the emergency room when they do not have those things in place. So I cannot say how important it is over and over again to really, really work with members and consumers to constantly update that emergency preparedness plan. And I've had the great fortune of working with June for many years, and I see her as one of my, my mentors in this area especially, but also Richard DeVelder. And one of the things Richard DeVelder, who was the first Office of Emergency Services Access and Functional Needs Director in California, had said was, if you rely on somebody else during a disaster to come and get you, Good luck. Good luck with that. And what his point was is we all need to be prepared to plan and take care of ourselves and, and be as be as proactive as we can and resilient because we never know. We never know what may happen and how we might be impacted. And so that was one of the main reasons why we pushed back so hard and continue to push back on any type of formalized registry because it oftentimes, and I've seen it happen, unfortunately, where people think that because they signed up for a registry that that means somebody else is going to come get them. And we've simply seen that isn't the case, and we've lost lives as a result. But having the health plan really go through, and I, I was texting June while she was talking, so she missed it, but one of the things she's always said to me in the preparedness component of what we did in California was, we need to make sure that we're asking people as we walk through what their preparedness plan looks like, what does your day look like from the point that you wake up to the time you go to bed? And that can change, right? It can change like it just changed for me when my son went back to school. My day looks very different now compared to what it looked like during summer break. So, again, that's why it's so important to check up and see what, what's changed in your plan. It can change at any given time. But power outages, cooling and heating centers, knowing where those are, knowing how to provide temporary lodging. And one of the things that we found in the temporary lodging piece that was really important is knowing which lodging options allow you to bring your pets. I cannot tell you how many people don't want to leave home without their pets. So one of our, one of our outcomes in California was to ensure that we had a contract with a lodging facility that would allow more than service animals, but actual pets too. So we had a couple of different choices when it came to putting people up in, in different hotels and motels. Being able to access food and replenish spoiled food from power outages and any other type of emergency or disaster, and then having accessible, affordable, reliable transportation and gas support. So. Lots of times we found, and more frequently than not, I was really surprised that people might have been able to get their own transportation to get to that hotel or get to a warming or cooling center, but they really needed gas resources to make that happen. So, again, that was one of the ways in my, in my former position that uh, Elevance Health was able to support Californians in providing gas cards to make sure people got their needs met. And then having backup power sources and points of contact for support. And, and that one, you know, as a person with a disability myself, that, that's been a discussion that has been difficult because some people are okay having many people in their circle and some people are less comfortable with that. So just making sure that you're 
really being sensitive to the person's needs. All right, and one of the things I, I want to cover that's really important, uh, June brought it up as well, is the bringing in the expertise of people with disabilities and those with lived experience that can really walk the walk and talk the talk to help somebody in preparing. And going to making sure that you understand that a one-size-fits-all model does not work for our community. I don't know that it works for any community, frankly. So really taking the time and having the patience to understand what somebody's emergency preparedness needs really are is hugely important. Having the patience and having somebody with the ability to relate to another individual is incredibly helpful. And it brings up things that a lot of people don't necessarily think about, but really makes them feel more comfortable in, in diving deep on, like whether or not they need catheter supplies more frequently during a disaster because they don't know when their next prescription will arrive, things of that nature. Being able to provide resources and suggestions based on your own lived experience and being a trusted go-to partner is key. Access and functional needs, disaster emergency considerations that I would strongly suggest everybody consider is what alert and notification systems exist in your community. I know I've gotten some FEMA alerts today while we've been here. There's going to be some flash flooding in San Diego apparently today. But looking to see what kind of notification systems exist from local to national to statewide, but figuring out which of those are accessible as well. And that is the key. A lot of times there are alert systems in place, but they might not be as accessible. And I cannot underestimate the power of social media. Lots of people, billions of people are using social media. If we can get emergency um, response agencies to, and ourselves, to use social media as a way to communicate how you can support what's going on in the community and things that might be of uh, resources to community members impacted. Using social media to do that is wonderful. My only thing is that it's really hard if that's only available Monday through Friday, eight to five. Disasters and emergencies happen at all times. Having long and short-term disaster and emergency plan tools is also maybe something that you want to consider. We found that some people don't have the time or want to take the time to do a long drawn out plan, but are willing to do a short term plan. And that works for folks, that, that's great. And oftentimes when the short term plan has been used, people will come back and say, I want to do the long term plan. I get why I need this, it was helpful. And just the more thorough, the better, thinking it through, making sure that your member understands who they can call, when they can call, what's going to happen when they call. And then plans should be always as individualized as possible. And there's a lot of templates out there to get you started from the Red Cross, from FEMA, from other organizations. But I would really, really encourage everybody to build on those plans based on the individual's needs and the disaster or emergency based on their geographic area. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare-Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. 
to support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care. You can also find resources for integrated care on LinkedIn to stay up to date with our recent products and technical assistance.